Hello and welcome to the Coaching Podcast, coaching for success in sport and business. Your host is Emma Doyle, the energy and high performance under pressure coach who is a world leader in unleashing human potential. Buckle up for this high octane session. Let them have it, coach. G'day, everybody, and welcome to the Coaching Podcast. I'm super excited to be interviewing today somebody who is across the water, Charmy and Taju on the line. Good morning, good evening. How are you? <laughs> good morning. Good, good evening here. I'm actually in Germany, and um, and it, the sun's still shining, but it's 7 o'clock, and I'm feeling great. Thank you very much. Oh. Thank you for having me on the show. Charmian's oh. in Germany, and she's a leadership team coach and strategist who loves to help companies grow through developing, uh, let's say, joy, connection, insight, psychological safety. Her business is called Miles Further. I love that she's known as the joy coach. You can, I know everyone can't see her smile, but it is radiating through the screen. And I can't wait to talk to you about connection and especially Enneagram as it relates to coaching people in the workplace. So look, we'll Kick it off straight away. It is the Vegemite question. You either love it or you hate it. Now, Germany, I'm not sure. Uh, what do you, What's your take on uh, Vegemite? Well, to be honest, I've never tried it. But as you can perhaps tell from my accent, I'm originally from the UK and we have Marmite in the UK. And as a child, I think I tried it once and I found it very salty. I, yeah. I haven't tried it for so many years and I don't know whether... <laughs> Vegemite is different, but uh... <laughs> very, very similar. We call it the poor man's cousin. Uh, so, <laughs> so listen, because you started, could you kick off this episode with a coaching moment that didn't go well and what might be a lesson or two? I did a 12 session series with uh, a wonderful lady who was a leader um, in the workplace. And at the end, she said, would you consider coaching my husband? And this was at the beginning of my coaching career. And I was like, can I do it? Is there a conflict of interest? I haven't, I was focusing only on women. I was a little insecure. And then I thought, well, she has finished and she really wants me. And it's kind of like, isn't that nice that she wants me to coach her husband? So I said, sure, I can do that. And um, at the beginning of the coaching session, um, this journey with the husband, um, I did the wheel of life exercise, which I'm sure you know, it's just to kind of get a read on, on what's what what he areas of his life he wants to improve and um when it came to romantic relationship about his his wife he said oh eight out of ten no problems there so we got into the coaching and we talked about his workplace issues and his purpose and and then after about six weeks in, um, we had a session and I said, and, and how, how are things going since our last session? Do you have anything you want to share with me? And he went, yes, I've decided to leave my wife. And I was like, <laughs> I was like trying to just be a good coach and not react and just be there for him. But I felt very conflicted and I'm sure it, it, it showed in my face. And and I said, which is a really bad coaching, are you sure that's the right decision? Because I was thinking I knew best for him. So, you know, as a coach, I think we have to trust that the coachee knows what they're doing and they know best in their lives. And I think that I let my own emotions come into that. And I felt very confused by the situation because uh, but but you know what happened at the end? The, the lesson is to kind of trust that that the answers are there and to trust 
that that they that the coaches know what they're doing. And so I actually met the wife later and him. Um, I talked to him on and both of them said it was the best thing that could have happened. And the coaching actually helped them um, to separate because they they had different plans for their life. And it only became clear through the coaching that they weren't really looking in the same direction as to where they both wanted their lives to go. The, you know, the big lesson is trust your your coachee to know the answers and, and don't you know, think that you're responsible um, or that you know best for them. What a fantastic story to kick it off. And I think the other thing that resonated with me is as coaches, we also need to trust in ourselves to know when to ask what question. Yes. And I think, uh, you know, that's a that's a great story around trust and hilarious in that, you know, in many ways she employed you to work on the husband, which, I mean, that happens all the time in coaching as well, doesn't it? When, when somebody's trying to fix somebody else, they say, can you coach this person? Because they really yes. need fixing. And, and that's, of course, not, not our job as well. So what about on the flip side, Shami? Can you tell us a, a success story and what was a lesson? I have a, a lot of clients, women clients who who are very much on the path of self-improvement and um this one lady she she was like a typical fast talking high achieving leader and she had like a hundred projects and and um I don't know whether you've ever heard the quote from Robert Holden but it it really resonates with me and especially when I look at my clients especially this um that no amount of self-improvement will make up for any amount um, any lack of self-acceptance. And, and I find that that is, is really the key is to try and get, um, I try to get this lady to, to, to let go of constantly trying to improve herself and really tap into slow her down, use mindfulness, use breathing techniques, get into stop talking and really just feel into her emotions and slow her down. And from this place of of, of self-acceptance, like putting your hands on your heart, breathing into what's there and and seeing the, yeah, just try it now, just breathe into to acceptance and love and what's going on in your heart. And, and just from that place of love and self-acceptance to, to truly um, understand how much you're worth without any goals or striving and and from this place then look at the those saboteur narratives that tell you you're not good enough um or that you need to control everything which is really coming from a place of fear and and she had this moment of transformation of seeing that these saboteur voices were all just lies and that her true self was one of of love and acceptance and it transformed her relationship with her daughter her teenage daughter with whom she was had lots and lots of fights um, all the time. And suddenly she said everything changed when she realized that she was okay, just the way she was. And she came from that place of love and space and acceptance for herself and then also for her daughter. And um, it changed everything. And now she has a really close and good relationship with her teenage daughter who's flourished by not being controlled and all the time. Well, personally, I enjoyed just stopping then and placing my own hands on my heart and just closing my eyes. 
I recommend everyone just pause this podcast and just even for 60 seconds, just breathe into your heart space. Because the minute I did that, I slowed down. Like I, you know, fair to say I was not, not rushed for this podcast, but you know, I squeezed in a few things in this morning already. Okay. And so you, we go from one thing to the next and, and I think screen fatigue and zoom burnout or whatever platform people use, they're going from one meeting to the next, to the next, to the next. And just being able to stop and just accept I am enough exactly where I am right here, right now, today is super important. And thank you for sharing that. I think absolutely, it's a good absolutely. reminder. Slowing down to really connect to what matters and to our hearts. Um, as you say, even just for a minute, just to hold your heart and say, it's okay, breathe. I'm here. I'm here for you. Like to, to be your own coach and slow yourself down and then come from that place of, of love and acceptance. It changes how how you go out into the world and how you react with others. Absolutely. Fantastic. Could you share a sliding doors moment in your life? So I was on uh, a sort of big career journey. I came from, from Germany to the, to the States, to California, and I did that typical American dream thing, whereas within four years, I had climbed the, the career ladder, tripled my salary in four years, and was suddenly a senior vice president. Um, sounds very fancy, a director of account planning in an advertising agency in LA with a house on the beach. Imagine the, the scene. And I felt I was only 34. And then I also um, met this guy and he wanted to have a child with me and I got pregnant and I thought life couldn't be better. I've got this great job. He was prepared to stay at home. And suddenly my life fell apart because when I was four months pregnant, my um, boyfriend decided that he couldn't do it. It was all too much for him psychologically and he left me. Um, And then when I was eight and a half months pregnant, my boss said, you don't really want this job, do you? You know, you're going to have a baby. And I'm like, absolutely, I want this job. Um, You know, I'm a single mom and, and I love this job and I want to do it. And then she decided that I didn't <laughs> and I didn't have a green card. I was only there on a work visa. So suddenly everything that I thought was was my life kind of had to change. And I um, decided that it was time to go miles further. You mentioned that my, my company, my, my son is called Miles and my company is called Miles Further. And today I'm really grateful for what happened to me because I think without that that sliding doors moment, I would probably still be working in advertising. And I have learned so much by running my own business for 21 years, helping companies go miles further. And it's 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 that whole courage over comfort. And I was forced to take that courageous route of going on a different path and building my own business. And I ended up in the middle of nowhere in a little village, um, 100 um, kilometers north of Hamburg, where there were only cows and sheep, just with a dream, this dream of creating my own business. Um, And I had my, my godmother, who's like my mother, nearby to help with the baby. And I started a whole new life for myself. And I'm so grateful that I was pushed out of the golden cage because the life that I actually had looked great on the outside, 
but wasn't so great on the inside because I was being micromanaged by my boss. I didn't feel that my work was very worthwhile or purposeful. And suddenly I was given this chance to start again. And um, and I made it work and I made it happen. But I don't think that would ever have happened if I hadn't had that sliding doors moment when I was kind of pushed out the doors. <laughs> so it's just a story to help others kind of when they're having a difficult time in their lives, um, just keep going, believe in your dream and make it happen because perhaps it's the best thing that could have happened to you, which mm. you can't see in that moment, but perhaps you see it afterwards like I am 20 years later thinking, thank goodness that happened to me and that I came mm. to Germany and started this business of mine. So and, what if uh, someone said to you, I'm super comfortable right now, I, ha I haven't had a dramatic push, but I know there's something more. How can people take the first step towards courage? Um, I, I believe getting a coach is, is really a, a wonderful first step because when I was struggling in Germany when I first arrived, um, I arrived in 2002, and by 2003 I was, I was like, oh, what's my life about? I, I felt like I wasn't moving forward and I felt I was struggling. And a friend of mine said, um, you should get a coach. And I'm like, I'm not even earning enough money. How can I possibly pay for a coach? And so that's exactly why you need a coach. And so I had a coach myself for, um, you know, uh, 10 or 15 years. And she always stood by my side and she helped me keep the courage going and kept motivating me to take steps one step at a time towards my dream so that I didn't just give up and go back into finding a, another job in advertising, but really kept the vision alive and took one step at a time. So having a coach is really a, a great way to start exploring what it is you really want and taking those first steps in awesome. the right direction. Fantastic. Really, really awesome advice. And the other reason I say that is I'm also finding some people, you know, when they're, when they're comfortable but they're not happy, they often retreat instead of actually sharing and voicing how they're feeling. And I, I just think that's so important. Start with some close friends, then look at, hey, does someone that you, one of your mentors, do they have a coach? And most of the time the answer will be yes. Uh, I have a coach and uh, I'm very, very grateful to my coach who keeps me on track on a daily basis because yeah, I run a podcast, I've done a TEDx, written a book, but you know what? I still wake up and go, what am I doing with my life sometimes? Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's not it's easy. It's not it's easy. It's not easy. It's not easy. I know people, from the outside, people can look at you and go, wow, you know, people often say that, how, you know, you're doing this and you're doing that. But every day I'm like, I have that fear and and we all have it. And if you just have somebody to help you realize that this is normal and you have to feel the fear and do it anyway, just to have someone to help you do that and to celebrate when when you do do things that are scary. Um, it's just the 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 best thing that, that, that can happen to you. And it's nice to hear that because I, I have a coach, you have a coach. I think coaches understand the value of coaching more than anybody. And All right. In one to a maximum of three words, what do you think makes a great coach? Connection, courage, curiosity. And I know you've had the three C's on your <laughs> on your podcast before. And when I was listening, I'm like, oh, but mine, I had the three C's before I listened to the podcast. So believe me, they're on my wall. I didn't just copy someone else and they're slightly different. Um, but yes. yeah. Please expand. 
So um, the first one is connection. I truly believe that you have to, first of all, create a space that your coachee, I also do team coaching, the, 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 that team that you're working with feels truly safe, heard and belonging. Like they're, this, they're totally like feel accepted and loved in a safe space. So the connection heart to heart on that very human level, I think is absolutely key um, for a, a coach that they create that safe space, first of all, um, that you see the person. Um, and I know that a lot of your, your book has this as well, curiosity is like the key, but I think a genuine curiosity in, in other people is kind of like the prerequisite of being a coach. Um, but it also, I think curiosity is almost like the opposite of judgment. So you're there just with an open listening curiosity, like just there's an openness and a lack of judgment that comes with curiosity. Um, and that trust that the coachee is creative and resourceful and knows best about their own life. So you're 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 just asking questions in a way that helps them figure out their own answers. And then the last one is courage. I believe that sometimes it's too easy for us as coaches to just sit back and listen. Because I don't know about you, but I have a lot of people that just love to talk. <laughs> and I think it takes courage to interrupt people and to say, this is coaching, not I'm not a friend. So I'm going to challenge you there. And and to have the courage to blurt things out um, that you're sensing, that intuitive thing where you feel that they're sort of stuck in their own stories, to challenge them and to, to actually make it a little bit uncomfortable sometimes for people, like to stop them in their stories, to get them to feel into their emotions, into their bodies, get them out of their heads. Because I think uh, most of us are in our heads the whole time, but to kind of stop that cycle so they can't just tell their own st their stories and really start feeling emotion and working through the emotion that's behind that and challenging them. Um, that courage to challenge, I think, is is really important for a good coach. They're fantastic. Thank you. Uh, Jack Gropple will be very proud that he's also got a fellow 3C. <laughs> uh, so shout out to, to Jack and the 3Cs as well. Uh, the one thing that I want to pick up on is what you said last, I think is what I found to be the hardest step about being a great coach um, initially because, of course, Based on my personality, I want to get along with people and I want to build, you know, rapport and I want them to like me. And I want them to come to my coaching sessions feeling like, oh, you know, she just gets me. And of course, if we are always saying yes or just listening and just agreeing and just saying, oh, that's really, you know, thanks for sharing, that's not really doing our job because we're not counselors. So, I love what you said around finding that challenge and that through line and having the courage to interrupt somebody in a, not interrupts probably the wrong word, but just to say, Hey, you know, can we pause or just to somebody did it even just a temperature check in one of my presentations the other day, cause I can be going a mile a minute as well and just check doing a little, I love that coaches out there. If you're listening, 
do temperature checks when you're presenting. Hey, I just want to check in, check in with your body, check in with how you're feeling, check in with how this presentation's sitting with you and uh, and just stopping again. So there's a bit of a through line around this slowing down to be Absolutely. able to get to where we need to go. Our last official question is, do you have a question for us? What sparks your curiosity? Yes. So one of my big questions is, how do we create lasting change? Um, I find that people have a good at creating a sense of purpose, at recognizing their saboteurs, at, at, doing, at doing things from the place of insight and then a place of action because you're, as a coach you're saying right what's what are you going to do next week what are you going to do this week to make that happen but what i i wonder is how do we really get people to create the kind of habits that make lasting change possible um and i think especially if and i'm sure you're the same having been a tennis professional that you are extremely disciplined um at you know, you just you 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 set a goal and then you create a plan to 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 make sure you do that exercise and you do those training programs. And what I find sometimes hard is for people to 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 really commit to a new habit change. Do you, do you have any um, experience with that? It is a wonderful question. Obviously, I know that you're big into the Enneagram, so based on the personality profiles, that to me is one of the indicators of the types of actions that somebody says they're going to do and then they don't necessarily do it. So if somebody's very auditory digital, they're very in in the detail and they love the detail and they say, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, they often miss that the bigger the bigger why or the bigger picture as to why they're doing that and so they never really create the lasting change because the the big why is not compelling enough and then Mm. on the flip side i know i'm being very simplistic around personality styles but on the flip side somebody who's up in the sky pie in the sky got the big dreams really struggles to go i you know you told me that you were gonna you know three times a week you were going to get up earlier set your alarm etc etc and they didn't do it yeah, because it was in the detail, and they were like, "Yeah, nice." No, and then, but is this goal really important to you? You really want to focus on your health? Oh, uh, yeah, it's really. I promise, it's really important to me. So, and I want to go there next with you as well because I think it is important that we do some benchmarking as it relates to you know you mentioned even just the uh, the wheel of life earlier, but even just having an awareness of somebody's own person. It's amazing how many people don't do the personality profiles and then they know where their traps are as it relates to habits and real lasting change. Mm. First of all, I'll just get your reflections on what I said. What are your thoughts on the idea of the the bigger picture, like having a, a big motivation as to, you know, what I love to do um, in my coaching sessions is really to, to, to paint that picture of the future of what is it that they really want so that it's super motivating that they've thought of every detail and what I love to get people to do is once they've worked with me in this very kind of visual order like they you 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 
feel yourself in that future vision of yourself. So say somebody wants to get lose, um, you know, get super healthy, exercise three or four times a week and lose 10 kilos because that's what they really love. You really imagine them and you get them to think about what would life be like when it's like that. And then you get them to, to, to do a collage and a writing exercise after that. So that that why is really, really powerful. Mm. And, and then I think you're right. It's like, how do you make that into a daily habit? And one of the things that I say is like, getting that that to be very um, concrete as well. So, so 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 when are you going to exercise? Like getting a time and a place. I don't know if you've read Atomic Habits by James yes. Clear. I think everyone in the world has read that mm. book, but it's really good about the, the you know, you, you link a habit to an existing habit and you really paint the picture. Because I love what he says about you, um, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. And so trying to help, clients create a system um, so that that visual picture of their future can actually start happening day by day it needs to be also be very very precise and that way I think you get you know no matter what the personality type you, you try to get both ends of the spectrum like the big picture the why as well as the day-to-day -day habits that are linked to other habits so that they don't fall through the yeah. cracks one thing I love about the Enneagram is the when I read about my healthy expression and my unhealthy expression and by the way I'll, I'll pop two links in the show notes one's a, a free version of the Enneagram if people are interested and one's just a, a really low cost one that you can do I've done so many you, know, you spoke about the the high achieving lady earlier I mean, yeah. I've done every self-help course series since I was <laughs> 21. So I could really relate to that woman as well, you know, do course after course after, you know, I've done just about every personality profile you can imagine. But I've only come across the Enneagram thanks to my good friend, Lauren Fryson, when we started running energy retreats. And so we we brought the Enneagram into the last retreat and she ran it and but I was part of the you know it was great even though I was I was doing the the session with her and when it, we were looking at the healthy expression of myself uh as Enneagram what 7 number are you if I may ask 7 as Enneagram 7 right the unhealthy version of myself that is another way from to just heighten my again self acceptance and self-awareness of what's going to trip me up as it relates to unresourceful habits that I know don't serve me well. It's very, very useful at helping show aspects of yourself that you kind of know, but the more awareness you have, the more you realize they can trip you up in life. I love working with Integrative Nine because it's all about looking at personality is something that's just overlaid that, that you are whole and complete as you are and the personality whether you're a, a one or a two or a three like maybe there's these nine personality types but that's not who you truly are and where and the more um integrated you become and the more self-aware you become the more you can actually just let go of all those personality types and choose what's the right thing that's needed at this point in time free of your kind of old patterns that have been kind of the way you grew up and perhaps it's a little bit genetics but but the more you yourself I think the self-awareness is the key to change 
you know, this is your fear driving this perfectionist behavior, or, you know, this is you're trying to escape, you know, painful emotions, which is why you keep trying to look at the positive and, and you kind of go, no, at the beginning, people go, no, I'm just a really positive person. And I'm just really creative. And then you kind of work with it for longer. And you realize, oh, there's some truth in this. And then it starts to work on you over time. And you start going, perhaps, you know, being a seven like you, I should just accept that, that I have to go through this pain and finish this boring project, because that's just what needs to be done right now, rather than going off and finding the next exciting project without mm. finishing the one that we were I, doing because it got boring, right? I don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. <laughs> that's Australian sarcasm there for all our international listeners. <laughs> Thank you for that. Perhaps we can put that, uh, you could share that link for me then for us to to add to the show notes about the integrative nine. Let's talk about psychological safety. I mean, what does that even mean? Come on, Shami, talk to me. Is it okay. a buzzword or does it? Do we? Re, is it really important in the workplace today? It's super important. I know it's a bit of a buzzword. Everyone's talking about it. But I, I think um, all the research... Um, and Amy Edmondson is obviously um, Harvard professor who is, has written lots of books on this. And I, I use her work a lot because it's just so deep and well researched. But there's so much research that shows that more than anything else for a team to work well, it's not about who you've got and your star performers and how long they've been working together or how much experience or any of those other factors that we think this is, let's, let's, let's put these people together because they'll make a great team. Um, it all doesn't matter unless you have psychological safety. So psychological safety is not that warm and fuzzy feeling that people often think it is about, oh, we're all just really nice to each other. It's it's the exact opposite. It's having that sense that what I say matters, even if it's not what others want to hear. So giving the space to, for everybody to be seen and heard and to speak up. And it's so not in our nature because we're um, you know, tribal herd animals, you know, that we want to, just like you said before, you know, with your coaching, that what you said about wanting to to be liked and please others, it's just in our biology because we weren't made to be um, on our own. And if we weren't part of the group in um, uh, Stone Age times and stuff, we would actually physically die. So, so it's in our instincts to want to be accepted and liked. And if there's any sense that what I'm saying is not what others want to hear or that there's any kind of sense that it's not encouraged, then I will stay silent. And this idea of, um, you know, why aren't people telling me? Why don't they just tell me what's going on is really a sign that there's little psychological safety because you need to encourage people to ask questions. You need to help them feel that where the team is going is is it's important enough for you to speak up, even if it's going to be at risk of your own for the greater good. And most people won't do that unless they're encouraged to. So it's like being encouraged to um, be vulnerable and to be open and to say things that that others may not like to hear. New ideas are like little seedlings. And 
and they can be trampled on very quickly. And I'm sure you've been in a situation yourself where you've had an idea and people kind of roll their eyes or say, we did that before, it didn't work. And as soon as that kind of happens, then I that everyone stops sharing ideas because there's just that atmosphere. So psychological safety is, is, is very much felt by everyone the same. And it's something that you need to design, which is why I have my, my team development program, because I think you need to consciously design psychological safety and teach people about ways of behaving that make that safe, that safe, that space safe. It really takes practice and a code of conduct um, that, that the whole team has has created and holds each other accountable to to create that safe space. Can you give us one example of how you design, like what's one code of conduct example as it relates to psychological safety that you've designed with a company? I believe very strongly in ORSC, um, which is, um, and there's Systems Inspired Leadership is the book um, that, that's related to ORSC. But there's a wonderful exercise um, that that works really well when you're designing um, uh, a workshop. You have like four quadrants, and you go through the we we it's kind of you may do it with lightness, like the four horsemen, <laughs> which is based on Gottman's research about the things that that destroy relationships, but also teams. You know, like blaming. Um, or defensiveness or stonewalling so you have these so you talk about these different quadrants and you you do it in the room with the teams and you say so what do you get most upset about and then people stand in the blame i hate it when people are blaming other people and and then you kind of go and what do you see happening in this company or this team and everyone sort of stands in the in the contempt area or something like there's a lot of contempt and then you say what do you tend to, to do like let's be honest and then everyone stands in the stonewalling like I just don't say anything I just keep out of it and I'm like isn't it interesting that it seems to be that everyone thinks that this is what's happening and yet what you're all doing is here like talk, let's talk about this so you get people to talk about the issues about sort of bad behavior that 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 upsets you and makes you realize you know that doesn't help you work well um so very specific behaviors and then you look at antidotes so what are the things that you can do to work against these things like so instead of blaming what's the two two percent truth that you can see and what others are doing so there's all these antidotes so people really take that in and then they go away and they think about what is a conflict protocol that they would like to see and what are the things that matter? And then as a team, you decide on that. Like, what, what, how do we want to work with each other? And, and then you get people to think, and how will we hold each other accountable to it? So once you've all agreed what the rules are of how you're going to deal with conflict, then it's much easier. So say we'd agreed no more eye rolling. So say I come to you and I say, hey, Emma, I've got this really great idea. And you go, oh not that again then I I can go do you remember in the workshop we said we weren't going to do that eye rolling thing anymore and then you have to go yeah I was there I remember so sorry and and I can call you on it whereas otherwise it happens on a more subconscious level and I don't feel I can say anything to you I just feel bad right I feel like oh I can't talk to you about my new idea because you're going to roll your eyes again so it's just this kind of thing this awareness and this agreement within the team about how do we want to work with each other uh sounds super interesting Interesting. Great. I would love for you to finish this episode with 
a practical mindfulness exercise. I feel like this episode has been so impactful in just helping us be present, be present to the amazing information that you've shared. So this is one that I'm sure, I'm sure many, many of your listeners already know. So it's, it's not reinventing anything, but it's one that I use an awful lot. And it's connected to um, the breath. If you see the breath as an anchor that you can come back to, um, that really has the ability to change um, your emotional state, it's a wonderful tool that you have with you at all times. You don't need an app. You don't need um, a book. You don't even need a, a, a space. You can do it at your desk. The four, uh, seven, eight breath. So the, the important thing is, is to sort of sit up straight and be comfortable, but alert. So relaxed and alert. So sort of have your feet firmly on the ground, your hands on your lap and, and just, just breathe a couple of times just to come into the this space close your eyes if that feels comfortable for you or just look down a couple of deep breaths and then what we're going to do is we're going to breathe in for four we're going to hold for seven and then we're going to breathe out for eight so breathe in for four one two three four hold for seven one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and breathe out for eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And then breathe in for four. One, two, three, four. Hold for seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and breathe out for eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Do one more round on your own. And one more. Open your eyes, come back into the room. How do you feel? feel like I was a bit out of practice with that one. <laughs> in relation to the breathe in's easy, the hold is easy, and then the breathe out went really quickly. Eight seconds was challenging. Yes, and that's really the key because it's the breathing out um, that really calms down your nervous system. It's mm. that long exhale that really activates the sympathetic um, nervous system, which calms you down. So um, it's really glad, I'm really glad you mentioned that because that shows you that that's perhaps an area that, that if you do it more often, it'll really calm you down, slow you down. And then we can really come from a place of calm and, and centeredness, a groundedness with which to lead our lives. And then everything kind of starts flowing more easily because you start to see things in, in a way that's coming from your center and from insight rather than rushing through life, right? Really being present. Yeah. And the one, the other thing I, I loved is when you said just to ground my feet, 
Yes. I, I know I've got my little corporate top on, but I have no shoes on. <laughs> Full yeah. transparency. So the the kinesthetic feeling of just the floor, I actually lowered my chair just to make sure I was really yes. sort of feeling that grounded. And yes. I think Thank once you for mentioning once, that because it it's really about that. It's really about centering and grounding yourself in this present moment. And we can use our bodies to do that. And it really helps us kind of, you know, in this very in these very turbulent times where everything seems changing and insecure and, and unsafe, you know, just feeling the ground below your feet and feeling the anchor of your breath in your body and slowing down is is really the key to, to getting through turbulent times, right? Because you you can be your own center. And that's another great exercise as it relates to just even imagining the breath. We are exhaling out through the feet and then coming up up the body and then exhaling again. And that longer exhale, totally agree. Even sports coaches out there, if you're working with athletes, just taking that longer exhale, or even you've got a big meeting, even in the workplace can, can really help uh, center you to be the best version of yourself possible. So on that note uh, with self-acceptance, courage over comfort and curiosity to really connect with our bodies, those around us, so that we can create psychological safety and be mindful. What an amazing episode on the coaching podcast. Sham, Shami, I, 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 we shorten everything in Australia. So thank you for That's being great. on. I, I like Shami. That's all good. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much was- for your time and your insights. Thank you so much. It was so lovely being here with you. The Coaching Podcast is sponsored by The Samson Agency, a boutique talent agency managing entertainers, artists, and athletes. You can learn more at thesamsonagency.com. And if you're interested in becoming a coach, check out opendoorcoachingusa.com for all our latest courses in Leader as Coach and our High Performance Workplace Coaching Certification. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Coaching Podcast, please share it with a fellow coach and thanks for listening.